You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to 30 to Curtain, a Center Theatre Group podcast. I'm Michael Ritchie, Artistic Director of Center Theatre Group. For each episode of this podcast, we talk with some of the talented artists working across our three stages, the Amundsen Theatre, Mark Taper Forum, and Kirk Douglas Theatre. For this episode of the podcast, we're looking back at a conversation I had with playwright David Henry Wong shortly before Soft Power made its premiere at the Amundsen Theatre in 2018. Soft Power began as a project commissioned as part of our 50th anniversary season and ultimately became a remarkable piece of theatre that is now making its New York premiere in a co-production with the Public Theatre. Here now is my conversation with David Henry Wong on the genesis and evolution of Soft Power with Santa Theatre Group. All right, let's start right from the beginning when you and I sat down about two and a half years ago uh, in New York and, and talked about this. Can you characterize where the conversation was then? Right. So, um, first of all, thank you all for coming here. This is a, a fantastic turnout and really appreciate your support. Um, so, Michael um, met me at uh, the n- now uh, defunct Edison Cafe. Um, and um, as, and maybe this amazing offer that any playwright would be thrilled to get, which is uh, that he wanted to commission a piece from me. Uh, and not only that, but there was a slot open and there were, and so the piece was sort of guaranteed to be produced. Um, so really, who can say no to that? Um, particularly because the uh, I have a relationship with this town, as Michael mentioned. I'm an Angelino. I, uh, I was born here and grew up in San Gabriel uh, back when there weren't really there. <laughs> yay! Uh, and, Table ten. <laughs> You know, and there weren't actually a lot of Asians in San Marino, in San Gabriel when I grew up. Um, so, um, you know, we transformed that, so yay. Um, in any case, um, I grew up going to see shows at the, at the Taper and at the Music Center. It always represented the kind of peak of a theatrical experience to me, even long before I thought of ever going into this profession. Um, so I talked to Michael, and what I was interested in at the time, um, and which has continued to remain the seed for uh, the, the show that's become Soft Power, 
um, is, were two things. Number one, um, the China's quest for soft power. So what is soft power? Um, the, there is hard power. It's in sort of uh, in terms of economic and international relations. Hard power would be things like um, your economy, um, your military strength. Um, soft power is your intellectual and cultural influence. So if you think about uh, Britain, for instance, Britain is a country that at this moment maybe doesn't have so much soft power, still quite a bit, uh, uh, doesn't have that much hard power, still has quite a bit of soft power in terms of uh, we watch their movies and they, 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 their scholars are important. Uh, China is a nation that uh, increasingly has a lot of hard power, um, certainly economically, uh, militarily not as much, but growing. Um, and most people kind of feel that China's likely to be the other major superpower, if not the superpower of the 21st century. And China has this desire to gain soft power. Uh, and I began to experience it because a lot, I, I would get a lot of meetings with uh, Chinese producers or Chinese theaters um, since they want to create a Broadway show to end up on our Broadway. And I happen to be the only even nominally Chinese person who's ever written a Broadway show. So I end up get, getting a lot of these meetings. And uh, nothing ever, you know, ever came of them. But it was interesting to me that you had a system which wants uh, international artistic and cultural influence, yet is very top-heavy where it comes to authoritarian power and uh, content restrictions. And are those two things increasingly at odds? So there's one thing. And the second thing was just, show, you know, I had seen the revival of The King and I, uh, the recent one, and I've always loved The King and I, you know, and it's, it's been a show that has moved me since I was a kid. And as I've gotten older, I've started to go, you know, there's a lot of things in this show that are like kind of sus. Um, <laughs> And so there's this complicated feeling, like when you're watching something that you know is kind of inauthentic and is sort of making a political point uh, uh, subtly and kind of reinforcing uh, cultural dominance of the West, but it's done so beautifully that by the end of it, I'm still like in tears because, oh, the king's dying and, you know, his son's going to take over. So those two things were the, were the foundation of what's become soft power. Right. right. Uh, so the first time we met uh, and, and uh, the, we talked about the commission was probably about two and a half years ago. Uh, and we knew uh, at that time uh, we were talking about the, the Mark Taper Forum, part of our 50th anniversary season. And uh, this being the final show of uh, that season, and we were going to do um, revivals of other shows leading up to it. Now, that whole season changed completely um, as, as we got closer to it. But the idea was that we would do some significant, significant shows from the first five decades of our history. And then we'd finish with this new play that looked forward. Um, on our second meeting, though, when we sat down for, for breakfast, um, uh, you had a, a, an expanded idea of what you wanted to do with this play. So can you describe what happened in the interval between our, our first breakfast and our second one? And I paid for both breakfasts. <laughs> 
And that wasn't the last cost that was involved in this. Right. Michael's been impressively just whatever uh, we asked for, he has paid for, um, <laughs> which is great for us artists. I don't know for you board members. But anyway. Um, so, yeah. So by the time we had our next meeting, I, uh, these two initial seeds had come together. And I thought, you know, what I want to do is a play that becomes a musical. So that the first... 20 minutes of it or so would be a contemporary comedy. And then that comedy becomes the source material. It's been, becomes mythologized. Uh, And 50 years down the road, um, it becomes the source material for a beloved East West musical in China. Um, And so we are then watching a Chinese musical based on the incident that we saw. Um, And that seemed to me to bring together a lot sort of a, a, a twist on the king and I, and also this exploration of what would it mean for China to gain soft power, and how does how would soft power manifest itself in arts and entertainment, specifically in the musical form? And so I said, uh, Michael, I, I kind of want to do a musical. Okay, can you do an impression of my face? <laughs> and he, so he had a big smile on. <laughs> All the acting doesn't take place on stage. Sometimes the best acting (laughs) takes place in a diner. Uh, No, Uh, I was actually, I have to say, I was completely intrigued by it uh, because he he gave me that run-up to it um, uh, in terms of framing it when he finally got to the the idea that it was a musical. And uh, I grew up on musicals. And and in fact, I grew up on The King and I. uh, And it is a particularly unique art form and one that I deeply, deeply love. So I was... Um, very intrigued and, and excited by the idea. Um, and then you mentioned uh, someone you were thinking of working with on it. Right. So the person who, it was my dream that we could work with the composer Janine Tesori, who um, most recently, at that point, I guess, had just won the Tony for Fun Home. Um, because I felt, you know, this is a kind of project, it's hard, it's complicated, that it tonally... Uh, to just sort of pull this off to create something which doesn't, uh, which projects a set of values that's generally different from our own today um, and gets a lot of things wrong about the United States in 2016, but also completely works as a musical so that if, you know, my thought was if we pull this off, you should have that same feeling that that you do at the end of King and I, where it's, um, Oh, that's kind of not true, but it's so beautiful. Um, (laughs) And and so the person I thought of was Janine because she is like, um, she's a fantastic composer, of course, but she's also kind of a scholar of musical theater. She understands the form so well. And I I run the MFA playwriting program at Columbia, and I had hired Janine on to teach musical theater um, because I I respect her so much in that regard. Um, And I felt like if we could get Janine on this very difficult, ambitious project, then I would feel like, um, you know, Churchill, the day that he learns the Americans are going to enter World War II, <laughs> I, I would feel like, oh, we can, we can make this happen. Uh, a little sidebar. Um, uh, you worked on another musical here at the Mark Taper Forum 
another Rodgers and Hammerstein musical, uh, and you um, adapted or or revisited the 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 book and the story, which may have a, a little link to what we're doing um, today. In the fact of uh, th- that was a musical that wasn't as well adored as many of the other R&H musicals, but is certainly a wonderful musical, but became very dated as the years went past. So can you talk about Flower Drum yeah, Song? Yeah, no, I mean, I had the, the great experience to get to do Flower Drum Song uh, here at the taper, actually. Um, uh, and Gordon Davidson uh, had been a big supporter of that. Uh, we, I felt at that point, like, Flower Drum Song had this kind of complicated history in that it was another thing that I saw as a kid and I liked it. And then over the years, we decided uh, we didn't like it. Uh, and, uh, uh, but, you know, it remained uh, the only Broadway show, the only Broadway musical ever in history about Asian Americans. There have been Broadway shows about Asians in Asia, but not Asian Americans. And when we did it in, uh, when we redid the show, uh, here at the at the taper in 2001, and then on Broadway in 2002, Flower Drum Song remained the only show, a Broadway show ever about Asian Americans until Allegiance, uh, which was a couple years ago and is currently running at East West Players. So, uh, you know, the relationship, again, is to kind of look at the, the kind of golden age of American theater or American musicals and um, understand it through the lens of today. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, let, let's give sort of a broad uh, brushstroke of the um, the plot uh, to the extent that you uh, can and desire to uh, um, give them an idea of w- w- what the basics of the plot are in the show. Right. So um, the any of you who saw Yellow Face here at the taper, thank you. Um, and... You know, that was a play. That's even, that's so nice. Thank you. Um, so that's a play in which uh, I had an autobiographical character named DHH and um, who was sort of the butt of most of the jokes. Um, and this play also has a character named DHH, um, although in, uh, in, a, in a sort of secondary role. Um, and the uh, contemporary play is uh, about the relationship between a DHH who's trying to, and a Chinese film executive. Uh, and my character is trying to um, uh, get the Chinese film executive to approve his pilot script to shoot in China. And so we have kind of a comedy about uh, con- the, the, the sort of content restriction uh, issues in uh, trying to get uh, things done in China nowadays. Uh, and then they go to a, a political fundraiser, because it's 2016, here at the Music Center um, on the plaza, and they go see a performance of The King and I. And uh, the Chinese film executive has always wanted to meet Mrs. Clinton, and they have an offstage 
meeting, but we also find out that um, he that the film executive is having an affair with uh, a, a an actress, a younger woman here in L.A., uh, a white American woman. And then uh, my character gets stabbed in the neck. Um, All right, now stop there for a second. So stop there for one second, okay? Uh, because obviously that brought peals of laughter, and rightly so because of your delivery. <laughs> Uh, but can you put that in context? <laughs> right. So a lot of you knows that I did get stabbed in the neck um, in, about two years ago, uh, about two and a half years ago. Well, uh, this was between the play and the musical idea, actually. I believe that happened between our two meetings. Uh, that's true. So I right. already had this idea, but it didn't have the stab in the neck part. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I was, I was stabbed and I had an artery severed. Um, and uh, walked to the hospital, walked to the ER near our house, and everything turned out fine. Uh, but I was, you know, I was I- incredibly lucky. Um, so uh, in the show, uh, when in, in, in Soft Power, when DHH gets stabbed, uh, then the, the whole show uh, goes into the future. And basically we tell the story of um, a Chinese film executive who has been uh, sent, to, sent to America but in this uh, kind of fan- Fantasia-like setting because it was this musical that we're watching has now been written about 50 years from now. And it's been written um, by Chinese composers and it has a Chinese point of view looking through the Chinese lens, as it were, at America in 2016. Um, and he ends up uh, also having an affair having a romance, um, and the musical celebrates from a Chinese point of view how China steps in uh, to rescue the world after America collapses after a post-2016 election. <laughs> and that's the basic idea of the show. <laughs> Uh, now, now, one of the things that I find most intriguing about it is that it's, um, it's, it's not a mirror to the K&I, but it certainly follows, um, not the plot points, but, but, but some of the um, impulse uh, in that uh, the K&I was a true story um, uh, about a woman who had gone to Thailand, uh, hired as the, the nanny for the king's children, uh, of which he had many, uh, uh, and I had always loved that show and, and seen it through the lens of being in the theater and experiencing the art and craft of the piece. And it wasn't until I sat with you at that breakfast and you reframed it for me um, through your eyes that I realized that, um, that the king and I is actually um, um, demeaning to an entire country and, and, and a culture where the, the basic plot is that um, a, a, a white woman comes to this country and saves itself from its own stupidity by teaching the king how to dance and <laughs> be nice to his children. And that's, that is part of the, 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 the plot there. So Yeah, and, I mean, and, this idea that, you know, that, the, that it takes a white nanny to come into Siam or Thailand uh, and teach the king how to bring his, his nation into the, the, the community of, of civilized countries 
um, is, you know, that's not that great. Um, and, but it, it's very much, I mean, it's a trope that exists consistently um, in Western stories about the East. I, I wrote the first drafts of the movie that eventually became Seven Years in Tibet. And, you know, that's another one. Anytime you get, like, a white person in an Asian country who writes a memoir, somehow they end up becoming the advisor to the ruler. Um, you know... <laughs> Because I remember meeting with His Holiness, and I think, you know, His Holiness, like, kind of remembered Heinrich Harrer, but, you know, it's not like Heinrich Harrer was, like, his, you know, surrogate dad. Um, so, anyway, so that, that trope exists, and, and the question is, okay, when we talk about issues like, you know, like appropriation, um, how do you express that? How do you, uh, how do you uh, replicate that feeling for a general American audience, because generally, you know, an American audience will, you know, or a white American audience or whatever will be like, yeah, you know, it doesn't bother me if like, like Japanese people dress up like cowboys. I mean, what's, what's so, and I think, I think because you have to experience it within a larger power dynamic. So if we look at appropriation within a power dynamic with, uh, in a future where China is, uh, is dominant over the U.S., then I think we look at appropriation and begin to perceive that in a different fashion because we understand the sort of p power context. And that's what the show's trying to do, among other things. So another complicated thing for a musical to try to achieve. <laughs> All right, let's talk about uh, the, the development of the show. So we sat there and we had this uh, the second breakfast and the idea that it would be a musical and that we both agreed Janine was the perfect composer for this and reached out to her and very happy that she, um, she signed on for it. So now, at that point now, th the calendar pages are turning. We're getting closer to spring of 2018. Uh, um, it's gone from a play to a musical. The, uh, well, how do you get started on this to create it, to get it to the point where it's ready to go into rehearsal and onto the stage? So the... Uh, a musical is having, I've got, gotten to write a few musicals and also, of course, a number of plays. And I find an important difference between the forms is who's, who's the decider, who's in charge. So usually in any form, you have one artist who holds the primary creative vision uh, and everybody else supports that. So if it's a play, if, then, you know, I hold the vision. If it's a movie, it's usually the, the director. If it's a TV show, it's the showrunner. But in a musical, you have to have three or four, sometimes five people who do a mind meld and kind of are equally responsible for the show. And that's why I think musicals are so hard. So I can write the play part of it, which I did. And, and of course, that continues to be rewritten to this day as plays uh, are wont to do. But then the musical part of it, we really needed to kind of develop together. And what that means is my coming up with an outline, because somebody's got to go first. Uh, and then everybody kind of jumps in. I like this idea. I don't like this idea. I could write the song. Um, and that went back and forth for a while. Um, and then eventually, uh, as we started, as we, we settled on a structure, I began to write a book. And then there's the whole question of tone. I think tone has been a real uh, challenge and um, one of the exciting things about this piece. Because if you make it too silly, like 
too satirical, like, oh, the Chinese are just getting everything wrong about America in 2016. That's fun for about three or four minutes, but then it doesn't sustain any emotional power because then you just don't believe in it anymore. I mean, even if you think of like Book of Mormon, which is very satirical in some sense, but it really has a heart. Like you're really, you really care about those characters. And so that question of tone has been, I think, one that we have been working to refine throughout the whole process. Uh, there's another, so you, you've mentioned, you know, the, the, the politics of the piece. There's, there's also um, terrific love story uh, uh, in it. And is that something, is, is a love story um, important to this piece or is it important to uh, a musical writ large? Uh, is, it, is it part of the, the canon of musicals that the love story um, drives the, the, the plot full. I mean, I think it's fair to say that if you, you know, if you just go through your mind right now and think about musicals that you love, m the vast majority, if not all of them, will have a musical. And of course, the old Oscar Hammerstein rule is that, you know, people sing when words are no longer sufficient. And oftentimes, love is the best. Uh, 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 musical is a great vehicle for conveying love. Now, you have your exceptions. Uh, you know, 1776 is famously, well, there's a little love story in there with, with Jefferson and Martha. Basically, that's not a love story. Um, but just about everything else that you can think of that's a major show has one. Uh, let's talk just uh, a, a bit about the music itself. Um, uh, Janine's uh, style, uh, the conversations you had about um, how the music should come across uh, and, and what you're trying to achieve uh, through the piece musically. So Janine has this term, uh, delivery system. And she says that musicals, and I've now incorporated this into the play, so you will see it in the play also, um, it, that musicals um, are an incredibly powerful delivery system for a message because it's so seductive. Um, and if you want to say that um, the you know, that, that uh, Mrs. Anna uh, teaches uh, the king to be um, civilized through Shall We Dance, then the, the fact that it comes through a song and the, and the song is so great and the dance is so straight, you, you just kind of let the idea seep into your heart and, and accept it. Um, so, which means that in a show like this, the music has to be as kind of rich and seductive and... And, and reminiscent of classic Broadway as possible. And Janine sort of set out to write her most beautiful score, which I think she has. Um, and now, you know, people sometimes, uh, who have, as we've been talking about this, go, well, is it, you know, is she trying to write in a kind of Asian or Chinese vein? And I would say not so much, because if you think about... Um, there's a Chinese form uh, of pop music, uh, which is the sort of pop music that came out of Shanghai between the 20s and the 40s. And to our ear, it does not, it's so like Rose Rose I Love You was an example of that that became an American pop hit. And to our ear, it doesn't, it doesn't do that kind of pentatonic scale thing. It doesn't, you know, try to feel um, kind of exotically Asian. It just tries to be kind of beautiful. And also if you look at K-pop today, I mean, K-pop is not really trying to incorporate um, sort of Korean motifs. So I think we're going for the idea that 
China 50 years from now really appropriates the American musical form. And there, there's a panel, there's a you know, brief kind of scene where there's a panel where they bring on the, the, the kids of the people who wrote the musical who talk about how it's a sort of uniquely Chinese form and they, how the Chinese invented the musical, basically. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever worked on a musical before, but there is nothing better in the world than working on a, a new musical. This has been a, a real treat for us to be um, a part of, and I think you're going to um, love the production when it gets here. And I just want to not only thank you for coming, but thank Michael and thank CQG and all of you board members and people who contribute because, you know, it's this Michael really kind of committed to this project, this huge project, when we really only had a title. So um, thanks so much for your faith. You've been listening to 30 to Curtain, a Santa Theatre Group podcast. You can find out more about our organization and upcoming productions on our website at centertheatergroup.org. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.